You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. I want to introduce Jordan Birch to you. And while I do that, I think our kids are going to go upstairs and continue their portion of the meeting. Um, so them and the child care providers. I guess parents can help if they feel like it, but some of your kids can just do it on their own. Jordan Burge is going to share a message with us. Now, Jordan is a cell leader. He's an art director. He's a pianist. He went to seminary. He's a theologian, scholar, mystic. You don't want mystic? He said no to mystic. I think so. He's more mystical than I am. Um, And I'm really glad to call him a friend. And he... um, I'm excited to have him share. So come on up, Jordan. Let's, let's clap for him, shall we? Mystical is a weird word. I mean, I think mystical in the Christian tradition is earthy. You know, it's being more connected to the earth and our, like, natural everyday experience. So, I don't know. Um, I try to be, you know, I try to do that. Um, but hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Jordan. You see him pronounce hello to everybody on Zoom. Glad you're with us as well. Um, okay, so today, as we've said a few times, is the first Sunday of Lent. Um, so six weeks from now, uh, we'll be up before dawn, or at least some of us will be up before dawn, no judgment if that's not your thing, um, to greet the risen Lord. So between now and then, kind of this period, this 42 days, I guess 42 days since Ash Wednesday, um, is a time that's set aside in our um, church life as this period of preparation. Um, Johnny mentioned earlier that you know, traditionally during Lent, um, there are a set, set of practices. Um, tradi- the traditional practices are you know, fasting, prayer, and almsgiving um, that Christians take up. Actually, in the tradition of the church, Fasting has, is not the one that is the most important. Um, rather, prayer and, 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 and almsgiving are more, you know, seen as more important than fasting. Um, in fact, there's a name for, like, if you fast without prayer, it's called the fast of the demons because the demons don't eat either. So it needs to be a co- kind of a company with things that we're letting go of, but also things that we're taking on and opening ourselves up to. Um, but they're simple practices. Um, they're intended to get us kind of a deeper in touch with our basic common humanity, that sort of mysticism that I was talking about earlier. Um, I don't know about you guys. Maybe you guys are doing something for Lent or like using this time as a sort of like dedicated time to practice something, either taking something on or letting something go or maybe doing some sort of discipline that you normally don't do to sort of open up your sort of spiritual senses and awareness. Um, Personally, like I usually forget to think about it beforehand and then like Lent is here and I sort of never just didn't like think about it. So um, I don't normally have a practice, and our church doesn't really have a practice. I mean, it's not too late if you, you know, for me. If you, you haven't done anything, that's fine. You can still okay to take something up if you want to. But honestly, like I really resonated. Scott, thanks for sharing. I really resonated with what you said. Um, yeah, it's kind of how I feel coming into Lent. Like I feel really heavy. Like I feel like I think I told somebody I was like I don't feel like I need to give anything up or do anything this Lent because I feel like it feels like Lent is happening in the life of our church. Just. With all the uncertainty that we have as a church and as a congregation, which, you know, I want to acknowledge um, and spend some time you know, meditating on today. 
Um, just to reiterate, I don't know who all is here on Zoom. I don't know how much everybody has been like up to date with everything that's been happening, but just to kind of reiterate what's happening. You know, we left, we left the Brethren of Christ, the nomination that we've been a part of for decades last year. Um, they in turn have told us that um, they intend to retain control of our buildings. Um, we don't know when that's going to happen. We're still kind of in some negotiation, but it looks very much like it's going to happen and that we're not expecting in the future to have this building um, that we've been worshiping in for, for, for many years. Um, you know, we also know that Easter is going to be Johnny's last Sunday with the church. Um, Johnny, you've been a pastor of Circle of Hope for, what, 15 years? 12. 12 years, okay. Sorry, I'm aging you. Um, um, he's going on to take a, 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 a pastor job with West Philly, West Philly Mennonite Church. Um, and, you know, I think in the future we'll have, like, time for more of a formal send-off. I do want to take this moment to just express my gratitude to you, Johnny, um, for the way that you've pastored our church and been a mentor to me. Um, as you know, I, I know that we're like talking directly about this situation and some of the anxiety and sadness that comes up for it. You know, I don't want you to feel responsible for those feelings. You know, um, but I just want to acknowledge that and thank you. Um, and yeah, just want to like acknowledge together, kind of that there is a lot of uncertainty, and with that uncertainty, probably comes with conflicted feelings. Um, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. Uh, whatever things look like will be probably different from what we have known. Um, I think that's sure, but beyond that, really, you know, who can say? Um, you know, I think there's really a question of whether we'll have a church, um, which feels scary even maybe to even acknowledge or suggest, but, you know, those are questions that are in my mind, and I imagine that you kind of have those as well, and maybe more. So that's what I feel like I'm bringing into Lent. Um, you know, usually in Lent, there's a sense, I feel like, for me, that, like, well, we do it, and then there's Easter, like there was last year and the year before. Um, but I feel like the questions that we're entertaining as a church together right now, like, are actually, we don't know what's going to happen. Like, there's, there's a real sense of urgency around them. They're actually going to require, like, real honest asking, like, real serious kind of digging and praying and searching for a way that we don't know yet, but a way that we feel and believe and hope um, that God is going to lead us to. Um, you know, I have the conviction that, like, not all ends are the end. Um, I believe that ends can be the beginning of something new, even if that, what that is is not known. Um, and I believe that we also, you know, we need to go through a process of, undo, of kind of undoing before we can find our way to a new country. You know, we need to let go of false hopes in order to let true hope find root in us. Um, and that, can, that process can feel very much like dying. But the questions are out there, you know, how do we find that hope? You know, how do we let it take root in us? Um, and it's with that spirit that I want to turn to our text, which is from 1 Peter. And I want to see if anybody is willing to read this text. Johnny has a microphone. He'll give it to you. The hardest part is raising your hand. After that, it gets easier. But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be intimidated, but in your hearts sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. 
Maintain a good conscience so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if suffering should be God's will, than to suffer for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is, eight lives, were saved through water. And baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. Thank you, Preston. Um, so I read this text, and uh, there's a lot of pretty heavy stuff in there. Um, I was really struck by this line, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if suffering should be God's will, than to suffer for doing evil. I was interested in that, that um, contrast that Peter makes um, between suffering for good and suffering for evil. Like, what does that mean? And I thought at first, like, I was like, it's kind of weird that he says, like, one is better than the other. I mean, not because, I mean, just because, like, usually when I say that something is better, I mean that both things, like, have merit, but one is just, like, better. Like, for instance, I think we can all agree that cheesesteaks are good, but Italian hoagies are better. <laughs> and Italian hoagies are good, but roast pork sandwiches are better. Cheesesteaks, of course, have their merit, especially if you, you know, you're, the main flavor profile you're looking for is grease and salt. They're good. But, yeah, it's delicious. <laughs> but... Um, but why, you know, how is it that we could say that like suffering for evil could be, could, be, um, could be good? And I think what he means by suffering for good is like you're being, you're, you are innocent, you're maligned, and you suffer for that. And there's a sort of like, um, there's a way in which I think we're, you know, that that's an example that Christ set for us. And then we sort of suffer with Christ and Christ suffers with, uh, with us. Um, but what, what could he mean by suffering for evil? Um, and could it have anything to do with our church and what we're going through? Um, so thinking about this, I was reminded of uh, one of my favorite novels, um, Crime and Punishment, uh, by Fyodor Dostoevsky. If you haven't read it, it's a fantastic book. Um, it's a very intense, very vivid portrayal of a person who's facing the worst of himself. Um, fear, despair, and guilt um, that hounds him after he commits uh, a senseless murder. Um, it's also a story of the soul searching for redemption, and I think it expresses a lot of what the Christian gospel is. So if you haven't read it, I recommend it. It could be a good Lenten practice. It's long. I think my copy is like 500 pages long. Um, and just a quick aside, uh, this translation is by Constant Garnett, which is like most of what you find out there. Luke turned me on to the fact that like that translation is not that great. Uh, so uh, there's a translation by a couple, uh, Pavir and Volokhansky, which is really good. So like I thought I read this book and then I read their translation. I was like, oh wow, it's so much, so much better, so much clearer. So 
Thank you, Luke, for that. So if you're going to find a copy of the book, look for Pavir and Volokhansky translation. Um, but the nutshell of the story, so it's, it's about this, um, this poor student, Raskolnikov, uh, he's, he's brilliant, but he's kind of like, he's, he's um, fixated on these strange kind of compulsive ideas. Um, he can't tolerate the fact that he's poor and brilliant, um, or he thinks he's brilliant, um, and has to like follow the rules of society and kind of suffer for it, while like great men like Napoleon like commit these crimes on vast scales and they're celebrated as heroes. Um, so he, um, he murders a pawnbroker, um, believing that he's one of these great men who can like commit murder and like it can be justified. And he kind of thinks like, oh, I'll use the money and it will like start this great career that I'll have, you know, and like in the end, like people will like recognize my greatness and they'll like overlook like any crimes that I may have, may have committed in order to get there. Um, doesn't doesn't grow great for him. <laughs> like, so the rest of the novel, like, it's basically 500 pages of him like unraveling with madness, like with this guilt and shame for what he has done. Um, most vivid to me when I read it was the way in which he was just pushed into a corner and uh, he like imagined himself living on this little island of darkness, like just occupying this little space. Um, like he, 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 with a secret, like he has no ability to like relate or like have any meaningful relationships with people. Um, he's, um, he, you know, he's, he's cut himself off completely from humanity. Uh, and the only way out is to confess. Um, and he can't do it. <laughs> he spends the, the, the novel battling with this. Because not only does he have to confess, but he has to you know, accept the consequences of the confession. Um, he actually does at one point confess the crime to... Um, an equally poor pr prostitute, Sonia, who is the only person that he can have a kind of honest relationship with. So he tells her about it, and I'll read it. And just, just so you guys know, I did not, you know, acting is not like my thing. Um, well, what to do now? Tell me, he said, suddenly raising his head and looking at her, his face hideously distorted by despair. What to do, she exclaimed, suddenly jumping up from her place, her eyes still full of tears suddenly flash. Stand up. She seized him by the shoulder. He rose, looking at her almost in amazement. Go now this minute. Stand in the crossroads. Bow down and first kiss the earth you've defiled. Then bow to the whole world and all four sides and say aloud to everyone, I have killed. Then God will send you life again. Will you go? Will you go? She kept asking him, all trembling as if in a fit, seizing both his hands and squeezing them tightly in her own, looking at him with fiery eyes. He was amazed and even struck by her certain sudden ecstasy. So it's hard labor, is it, Sonia? I must go and denounce myself, he asked gloomily. Accept suffering and redeem yourself by it. That's what you must do. And just to clarify, when he says hard labor, he means like prisoners at the time would be exiled to Siberia where they would live their life in hard labor. Um, so um, that's what he's referring to. Um, you know, Dostoevsky had no like sense idea of like cheap, like a cheap grace. Like the restoration of the sinner doesn't mean that they get excused for what they've done. You can see here that telling the truth is just the beginning of his rehabilitation. Like he still has to endure the consequences of his confession. Um, I think that's what Peter meant by suffering for evil. Um, like there's a path here.
for Raskolnikov. It's a difficult one, you know? There's no like get out of jail free card. Like he doesn't get points for telling the truth. Um, but the truth is like the way that he can find this path of salvation, this path that could lead him back to the land of the living. And it'll mean accepting whatever punishment he's owed. Um, but that punishment, if he's willing to accept it, can be, can be the means of his, of his salvation. So he'll suffer, um, but he'll suffer with, in, with integrity. Um, so if that's suffering uh, for evil, then what would it mean to suffer for good? And in this story, I think we'd have to go all the way back to the very beginning, um, to this like, unhappy man who's filled with resentment for the hand that life dealt him, um, and wonder, like, okay, like, how could he have made a different response to his circumstances? Uh, I think it would have required like, a tremendous amount of courage and vulnerability. Um, it would have required like, letting go of ideas he had of himself, um, and what his value was. But I think there was a, there was a path there. There was a path, kind of a, he's following, you know, by doing this, by, you know, admitting his wrong and suffering for it, he's following a path. He's following the path of Christ. He's letting, he's letting his, his suffering be joined to Christ's. In the beginning, he could have done the same thing. You know, he could have, he could have followed this path of a, kind of accepting himself in the situation he was in, um, and again, like letting go of kind of ideas that he, you know, that he had of himself or, you know, ideas that he needed to be justified to the world through his brilliance. Um, that would have also been a kind of dying, um, you know, and we'll never know if he could have done it. Okay, so what the heck is going on here? How could the story of, of a murderer possibly have anything to do with this moment we're in as a church? Is there anything we can possibly learn from Raskolnikov? Uh, I hope so. I feel like I'm often better at writing the first half of sermons than the second half. Uh, just like, it's easier to like explain the problem than to like find the hope that Christ is giving to us in the midst of that circumstance, which I was like, okay, that's kind of the point. Cause I think like a lot of it is just learning to like be honest with the situation that we're in. Um, learning to tell the truth, you know, which takes courage, <laughs> you know, and uh, there's so many reasons why we would not. Um, you know, we've also... And I don't want to be like overdramatic, but you know, we've also been dealt a hand, so to say. Um, there are circumstances that are happening right now that are outside of our control. Um, you know, we might wish they were different. Um, they, you know, so it, 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 and we can't change circumstances, um, but we can decide, you know, how we're going to respond. Um, will can we suffer? Can we can we sort of suffer for good, even in this moment? Um, and I think there is, a, there is an option to do, I think there's a way that we can do that. And I think it does begin with uh, being willing to tell the truth about our situation. Um, the starting point, as in all things, is just being honest about where we are. Uh, in coming weeks, you know, we'll have some difficult decisions to make. Um, the future of our congregation is in our hands more than it has been before. Um, and that, you know, that brings up any number of feelings, uh, any number of questions, doubts, concerns, or anxieties. You know, and we're really tempted, I think, to like, rush past that. Um, especially you know, in a group, it's hard to be honest about your feelings. Like, you, you know, it's hard to be honest with yourself. It can be also hard to be honest with other people, especially when, if you feel like your, your questions or your concerns aren't shared by other people. Or if you're like you're not sure that like what you're thinking is like going to be okay with other people, um, 
But let's not skip over that. Let's really like take our time. Um, let's really see if we can like learn to practice some like radical honesty. Um, and of course, you know, the places to begin is always with ourselves, always with being honest um, about our own experience. And secondly, I think we can also make room for other people's experiences. Um, and I mean making space for other people to share their experience. You know, we're not one person, you know, we're a group. We all have our own individual journeys, as well as this journey that we're on together. Um, you know, other people might say things that might provoke difficult feelings in yourself. Other people might need some encouragement, you know, to share what they're thinking. But in any case, we're doing this together. Um, so let's also bring some grace and compassion. Let's help one another along the best we can and ask for help whenever we need it ourselves without fear or shame. So yeah, life often asks us to make difficult choices. And choosing the path that leads to growth and maturity is often one that requires sacrifice. It requires giving something up, like Nate was talking about. And whatever we choose, there will be a choice to bear in the choice that we're making. There's going to be something difficult that we're going to have to endure or give up. You know, to put it bluntly, like if we decide to continue as a congregation, that's going to involve sacrifice. If we decide to end gracefully, you know, as this local expression of the body of Christ, that also is going to involve some sacrifice. And we might not all be on the same page, you know, with whatever decision we make. And I don't want to, like, flare the point as if it's like that's the decision or the only decision we need to make or the first decision we need to make. But, you know, we want to kind of make the point clear as best I can. Um, but we're holding on to uh, the hope that God will redeem us through our suffering. Because Jesus is with us. Jesus is suffering with us. And we're suffering with Jesus. So we turn our hearts to God in hope. We let go of the future. Uh, we let go of needing particular outcomes to take place. Um, we let go of our attachments to those outcomes. And we open ourselves to the possibility of transformation. We arm ourselves um, with the courage to face the truth um, and the conviction that the truth will set us free. And we open ourselves to the possibility that this end can become a new beginning, that there are possibilities that we have yet to imagine. Amen. Let, us pray. Let me pray for us. Amen. Lord, you inhabit many circumstances of our lives. Fill our hearts with, with longing for that new country that you're drawing us to. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhopenet.com.